Hi, this is Libby. And this is Roberta. And this is Art Blog Radio. Uh, we're speaking today with Andrew Jeffrey Wright, who's internationally known for his limited edition zines. He's a current and founding member of Philadelphia's Space 1026 Art Collective. And we're sitting in City Hall's Art Gallery, where three other art collectives, Little Berlin, Flux Space, and Extra Extra, have set up a Department of Alternative Affairs. Andrew Jeffrey Wright has always done a variety of activities, from printing, painting, collage, photography, sculpture, to designing t-shirts. But he made his first mark as an animator, The Manipulators, which he created with Claire E. Rojas. It won the top prize for animation at the New York Underground Film Festival and the New York Comedy Film Festival. He has been doing more and more stand-up comedy lately. So how come you've been doing that? <laughs> um, I started it maybe five years ago. But the first three years of doing it, I had only done it 12 times. So the last two years is when I started doing it a lot more. It felt like a natural extension of my non-performing art, of my zines and my drawings. Predominantly, they're humor-based. I just wanted to bring it to another level. So is it a challenge for you to stand up? Yeah, yeah. The first three years, I wore a mask. Uh, the whole time. What kind um, of mask? What did it look like? Uh, it w- I found these uh, these cardboard alien head masks in a, some like dead stock party shop in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and I stapled four of them together and made like one huge. It almost looked like a mummer's type, uh, like a peacock type um, feather array, and uh, I worked it into my performance, and it was a necessary element for me to get through the performance. So did you take on the persona of the alien? No, it was just, uh, I would actually say that I need a barrier between me and you. Something to dis- distract you from, from myself and me to distract me from you. And I would get a, a laugh initially right then and there. And then I would go on t- with my routine for 40, sometimes 45 minutes. And people wouldn't even see my face for the rest of the routine. And did they laugh at the routine? Yeah, yeah. It just depends on what spot you were in what room if they didn't laugh for three years I probably would have stopped but I I got laughs you know the very first performance and when it actually when I very the very first performance I did I was just like I'm just gonna do this and then like work up to like maybe a 20 minute set make a video of it and then it'll just be this finish it would be a video piece but then as time went on I was working on the set and making it longer uh, it just became something that I just wanted to keep doing. The video was made eventually, like, I guess it's two years ago now. It's like a 45-minute DVD. But there's only a, a run of 100 of them made, and they sold out, you know, within the first couple months. Do you consider that what you're doing is stand-up comedy? Is that what it is? Yeah, I'm not afraid to call it stand-up comedy. Uh, some people might call it performance art. To me, I, I'm really liberal with the term art. But it gets to, I guess there's different, what people describe as like, oh, this isn't stand-up comedy, this is comedy performance. Like, there's supposed to be differences, and I'm not sure of all the little, it's like trying to tell all the differences of like uh, rave music in the 90s between jungle and trance and ambient trance and house. Like, I don't know what the differences are. So is there a financial model to make it in the stand-up comedy world? I don't know about finances. I just make art and try to see what happens. So what do you do to survive? 
uh, cheap rent combined with just making lots of art nonstop. And I guess I'm fortunate to be at a spot where if I make $500 off my art in a month, I can live off of that. Most people can't. Most people can't make $500 off of their art in a month. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. good if you're making 500 yeah. So what is it that you're well, selling like hotcakes? Well, because we know it's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a combination of uh, performance and um, paintings, silt screens, T-shirts. Um, and now I have, uh, with my friend Rose, we are doing uh, writing for kids shows on... Um, Com a Comcast on demand channel called Activity TV. How did that happen, the Comcast connection? Because that's um, a, a huge corporate entity in yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah. It's uh, my friend Ted Passan, who's a Space 1026 member, made a video for a Philly band called Dr. Dog. Somebody who was working in this section of Comcast called Center City Film and Video they saw his video for Dr. Dog and they had a position open for a, a producer director and they contacted Ted and then Rose and I have been working with Ted you know forever so it was a natural progression he like asked us to come in and help write some stuff and perform and what age kids uh they said the demographic is nine to twelve but I've talked to a lot of six-year-olds that like it and 40-year-olds so like you it, have. I think it crosses <laughs> it crosses all uh, age brackets really so if I go to Comcast and On Demand, I mm -hmm. can find this? Yeah, here's the levels you have to go through. You go to On Demand, <laughs> then you go to Kids, then you go to Activity TV, and then you go to Joke Summer School or Summer Joke School, depending on how it's worded. There's a confusion on what it's called. <laughs> I think it may be called Summer Joke School on the menu, but then the title of the show on the title sequences, Joke Summer School. So tell us about uh, where you came from and where you went to college and okay. your relationship to Philadelphia, which you seem to love. Yeah, well, I was born in Florida, but I only lived there for two years, so that doesn't really count. I grew up mainly in the Philadelphia suburbs and uh, the like uh, small towns of uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, almost like in Delaware. And then uh, I went to school in Philly at the University of the Arts. And I studied animation as my major, but I did a lot of screen printing and a lot of photography. And then I moved to Providence for almost three years and then back to Philadelphia. And then we started Space 1026. Providence, why did you move to Providence? Uh, Cause some people like to steal my cars and I've had three stolen. And then one day after work, uh, I was driving home I was working as a, as a security guard on Hog Island. My car overheated on the way home. I didn't have any coolant. I was parked on the highway. I was going to come get it after rush hour because it was rush hour, so I got to just come back after rush hour, and it was gone. How does an artist get to be a security guard? I'm very interested <laughs> in this. It seems like not the career path. Right, right it's definitely not. The, my father and my grandfather, like in their retirement, they were security guards, and then they... In turn, like during me and my brothers, during breaks from college, we would also be security guards. Abandoned sewage plants and schools in rough neighborhoods during Christmas break. And Did you have a gun? No, no. You just ran there to try to make sure no one broke into the school and stole stuff. But it happened, but not, not on my watch. Didn't have it on my watch. 
Do you ever um, use so any I, material from that in your stand-up? Yeah. It seems I, like it would be good material. I have. There's some good stories from that, and I have one really, really good story. It's like the security guard underwear incident. I tell that story occasionally, but it's the short version. I got down to like seven or eight minutes, but the long version is 20 minutes. So how'd you go to Providence, or why? <laughs> Well, I was working as a security guard, and my car was stolen one day after work. So then my fr- uh, Ben Woodward was uh, going to school at RISD, and he was like, Andrew, just move up the Pro-. He w- He was trying to get as many friends as possible to move to Providence. Move up to Providence. You don't need a car up here, and you can work for this guy I met, Shepard Ferry. He does screen printing, and does- you can work in his screen printing studio. I was like, all right. So then I moved up to Providence and worked for Shepard printing his Andre the Giant has a posse stickers and then I lived there for almost three years and that's also where I met Claire Rojas and we dated for several years and made a bunch of art together and then we moved back to start Space 1026. So have your dad or granddad ever heard your stand-up jokes or the 20-minute version of the security guard underwear story? They haven't heard that story. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't get doesn't get saucy, but uh, it's a story I should be more embarrassed to tell than I am. I don't just some things you just don't tell your parents. I don't know. They've heard my stand-up comedy. My parents are both uh, serious Christians, so there's certain things that I just don't expose them to. Are you a Christian? Uh, I can't claim that any longer. Um, I didn't try not to be. It just happened. I did the math eventually. I was like, this does not make sense. So what sorts of things do you think are funny? Um, I'm, you know, I just... Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I don't really think about it. I just... Well, talk well, about some of your hair uh, <laughs> performances, if you will. Um, yeah, I had this... Uh, a bald body like most of us growing up and then the hair just started sprouting out but then it kept growing and then my body hair was like uncut four inches long like on my chest and my nipples I'm like this is crazy this what's the evolutionary benefit of having body hair this long so I started like, doing things with my hair I made the video called the dehairing ended up doing like three different versions of that. There's like flipbook versions of it and then a video I made with Adam Wallachavage and the kids from Paper Rad. It's a video of me standing, wearing like a small bathing suit. I'm standing shirtless and you can see my legs. And then we just shave off half of my body hair straight down the middle. And a video image of clicking back and forth at different parts of my body like half hair to full hair, half hair to full hair. It goes back and forth. And then it goes from half hair to no hair. And then that all clicks back and forth. Like, you know, my chest, my legs, my arms, uh, my face. So... Was it summertime? I always felt like hair was a toy. Hair something to play with and mess around with. How did you wear your hair in high school when you were Uh, first becoming hairy? (laughs) Tenth grade was a mohawk. Eleventh grade bleach blonde, kind of like surfer boy looking like new wave kind of haircut. Twelfth grade, I had dyed it black and then started to let it, and then just let it grow out. I just thought, you know, someday I might go bald and I want to try see what long hair feels like. So I let my hair grow for like three or four years. 
And then I laid on the floor one day, and Adam Wallachowicz and another friend of mine, I said, let's give, my, let's give me dreadlocks. So I laid on the floor, and then they took their feet, their sneakers, and then just, like, rubbed my hair with their shoes until, like, so I had dreadlocks within 30 minutes. And then I had that for, like, a month, and I was like, I don't like this. I felt claustrophobic for some reason, not being able to, like, run your fingers through your hair. It felt weird to me. And then I went back to short hair. That takes you from 10th grade to mid-college. So do you think you were born funny? Um, yeah, I was born funny. I'm, I was born deformed, so... Nobody in your family tells jokes around the kitchen table or... Mm. My grandfather would tell, like, standard street jokes. Um, and he would also like, like to dabble in magic tricks. You know, nobody was trying to be funny on purpose. But I do notice within my family, my mom gets my sense of humor the most. Like when she watches the kid show that Rose and I made, she's the one laughing the hardest. My dad doesn't really get it. Your humor comes with a socially critical edge, it seems to us, both in what you draw and screen print. You always are making a point. It's not humor for humor's sake. It's humor for some other kind of point. Yeah. Hmm. I grew, I grew up, you know, in, in the Christian family, so I grew up not doing drugs or anything like that. And I never really had a temptation to do them. So occasionally my humor will be making fun of drugs a little bit. But I'm also a little bit fascinated with drugs. So then I do a lot of drug-based humor. It's, not all, it's definitely not like a put-down on drugs all the time. But it's more like a, what are these things? Is everyone so fascinated with what? So, like, there'll be, like, some comments on drug use. Um, there'll be comments on, uh, you know, wealth and <clears throat> the distribution of wealth. And kind of anti-corporate a little bit, do you think? <clears throat> uh, yeah. At the same time, I am work, work for Comcast, and I've actually done work for Nike. I'm not exactly anti-corporation, but I think... I just wish there was a way you could be a corporation and be, be socially responsible it's got to be possible, I guess, right? You haven't seen it yet. And then the funny thing is, the companies that always come into artists are always like, it's Nike, it's Toyota, it's just like, why? where's Eden Soy? And, you know, where, where are all these organic companies? How come they're not coming to us with money and being like, hey, do this project with us? It's always some, it's always Motorola or something like that. I'm not going to, I wouldn't say I'm an activist. If I was an activist, I probably wouldn't work with any of these companies but I'm, I'm an artist who creates reflections of my thoughts and just, uh, you know, comments on things. I, my whole, like, stance was, like, I won't work for pornography and I won't work for cigarettes. Almost anything else was fair game. So what's the best thing that ever happened to you? Um, what's really great? <laughs> I mean, everything's just, you know, just a lot of fun. Having the space is a lot of fun. Having a cool girlfriend's a lot of fun. Working with Rose is a lot of fun. Skateboarding was a big influence on my life. That was a lot of fun. Having parents that aren't jerks, even though they're Christians, is a lot of fun. You know, they're really cool parents. Like when the, in the 80s, like friends of mine whose parents weren't Christians, they weren't allowed to have mohawks or like. They were really strict parents and, like, would come down on them and the way they dressed and the things they did. 
parents just let me do it. They were really nice. They're still real nice. Well, on that note, we've been talking with Andrew Jeffrey Wright today. Thank you, Andrew. It's been wonderful. Uh, thank you, guys. Art Blog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And thanks to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio.